it really rocks you to your core and, and things that you thought were important before maybe aren't as important and you learn a lot of lessons i think going through some of that stuff welcome to the adventure deficit podcast we're here to promote lifelong learning through the context of adventure through our one-on-one interviews, we capture in-depth stories across a variety of subjects, emphasizing a new life lesson in every episode. We're on a mission to entertain, educate, and inspire you to embrace new challenges, reflect, push through fears, and get out there in search of your own adventures. We call it taking our medicine, and we invite you to join us for today's dose. All right, today we've got Jimmy Gretzinger, uh, host and operator of Michigan Out of Doors TV, joining us. Jimmy's got a handful of, uh, of fun stories to share. He had an opportunity to share his testimony with, uh, with some of my guys from Ada Bible. Uh, we had a men's event called Man Night uh, Wild Game, in which Jimmy was our guest speaker. And he had an opportunity to share his story with uh, with over 800 guys, and uh, it was such a compelling story that I wanted to share that with the Adventure Deficit audience. So, without further ado, Jimmy, welcome to the Adventure Deficit Show. Thanks so much for uh, for coming on. Yeah, glad to do it. We've got uh, we've got a little bit of catching up to do. I haven't seen you for for. Uh, two or three months, and uh, we've had some big changes uh, underway, <laughs> specifically. Yeah, say that. Yeah, specifically uh, COVID. Uh, tell us a little bit how you're, how you're dealing with that with, uh, with the uh, Michigan Out of Doors yeah. crew. Yeah, well, so there's, you know, there's the professional side, and then there's the, the home front side, and they kind of blend together. Um, for the TV show-wise, and for people aren't familiar with the television show, uh, Michigan Out of Doors, is, is an outdoor television show, primarily hunting and fishing, but a lot of outdoor adventure stuff as well. But probably 80% of what we do is hunting and fishing related. And the show has been on the air since the early 1950s here in the state of Michigan. So it's one of the earliest outdoor shows that we're really aware of really anywhere. Um, and so how this, and one kind of a unique thing about our television show is that we're a weekly television show. We are on PBS here in the state of Michigan and some, some of the surrounding states as well. But because we're doing a weekly show, we're typically out on the road, in the woods or on the water every single week. And so with this COVID situation, with the try to, you know, shelter in place, stay close to home, even though there's not, at least here in Michigan, they don't have a number on that, what that actually means, whether that's 15 minutes, 15 miles, 500 miles, whatever it is, we've just been instructed to kind of stay, try to not do long distance travel is, is the exact wording on that. So for the TV show, that has made it a little bit more challenging. Um, we had two to three weeks of stuff kind of in the can, so to speak, but we would say stuff that's kind of ready to go. We had one of our big buck nights that was a, a, a whole show. And so we've been able to get through so far. I don't know what we're in here, week three or four or something, but uh, we've had all new shows uh, since then. And uh, we did kind of a cool thing this past week. We put out a thing to our viewers to say, hey, send us in some viewer videos that you've taken over the last year. So we had people send in a bunch of different stuff. So this week's show is all viewer video and it's some really well done stuff. It's really actually pretty cool stuff. So um, so we're kind of limping along like that, but we'll start to do a little bit more traveling. The turkey season opens this weekend and we can, you know, we can still go tape other people. We just have to maintain that social distance and trying to stay within, you know, a half hour of home. Um, so we're kind of, we're figuring it out TV show wise. We've only lost one sponsor so far because of it which happened to be the state of Michigan. So hopefully as we get through this, they'll come back in uh, in some capacity. But uh, so we're getting along. And then uh, here at home, I have three kids. I got an 18-year-old, a 16-year-old, and a 13-year-old. Um, and so the four of us have been uh, kind of hunkered down. And um, I have a sister that lives very close to us, and we've been kind of sheltering in place together. Um, as we, I, She helps me watch my kids. And then we, so we've been kind of doing it together. We see them every once in a while. But yeah it's it's a crazy time i'm just uh uh interesting to see how we get i don't think our business as far as tv show wise will really know the effects until probably this fall or into the winter when we see how the businesses rebound and whether they can continue to buy advertising whether they want to buy more advertising because of the downtime so it'll be interesting to see but i don't think we'll really feel the effects until probably later in the year that's interesting you say that. Yeah, I think there's there's so many different industries that have been affected differently by this, and your industry is unique in that all of your dollars in are are largely 
due to advertising, I've got to believe, right? Yeah, hundred percent. It's all advertising. So, um, some of the, some of the, uh, bigger organizations are not as affected so far. Um, and some of them have already paid up front for advertising, which is really good. We offer a little discount okay. for people to pay up front. And so that was, it's been a good thing for us this year. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jimmy, this is uh this is not an easy time and, uh, I don't, I don't want to move forward too far into your story without recognizing that this is the time, uh, that we're, that we're taking, uh, at present is, um, is very unique. It's very challenging. And, uh, I just appreciate you taking, you know, um, taking a chunk of your day amidst all of the unknown variables spinning around right now. You've got to be plenty busy in your head trying to navigate through this. And, uh, I just want, I just want to say thanks. Thanks for taking the time to spend, um, even more time in your story with us. So that's, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a, it's a crazy time. So, um, yeah, yeah. at at any rate, um, Jimmy, uh, Jimmy's story involves a whole lot of things that, uh, that our, our audience jives with, uh, Jimmy's an adventure junkie. He spends most of his time, uh, chasing, chasing hunters and anglers around the state with a camera and a microphone and uh, bringing them into our living rooms. And uh, he's been an inspiration for many through his PBS television show. So um, part of Jimmy's story is, um, is, uh, is tied to what he just shared with us. Um, he is, uh, he's co-parenting with his sister. He just mentioned that his w- sister is watching his kids while uh, he gets some, some stuff taken care of. And uh, part of the reason that um, that Jimmy's doing that is um, is uh, loss, and he's going to talk about some of that in his story. Um, cancer came to to do what cancer does uh, to steal, and uh, it took took Jimmy's wife from him uh, several years ago, and uh, that's a big chunk of of what he's going to share with us today. How to navigate through that and. Uh, how he has uh, used his faith to overcome that, um, Jimmy. With uh, with a little glimpse into uh, some of the tragedy in your story, let's back up and just kind of start off from uh, from some of the happy memories of of your youth. Uh, give us a little background on on kind of your upbringing and what brought you into uh, Michigan out of doors. Yeah, well. Uh probably like a lot of your listeners, I grew up uh, doing a lot of hunting and fishing. Uh, my dad was kind of primarily the main catalyst in that. And we grew up on the west side of Michigan uh, in a town called Ludington. So that's right on the right on Lake Michigan. So that was an awesome place to grow up. And so we did a lot of hunting and fishing, but I never really thought I'd be able to put those, you know, have that be a profession later in life. And uh, but but did a lot of that. Um, you know, high school and college, well, high school, you kind of get away from it a little bit just because of the sports and everything else. But as I got into college, I started to really realize how much I missed and loved the outdoors. And so I spent more time uh, hunting and fishing at that point in time. And then um, went off to Michigan after I got graduated from Michigan State. Uh, I actually started working for a large Christian camp called Spring Hill Camps, which is in Everett, Michigan, kind of right in the center of the state. And I uh, did a lot, probably that was probably, I was doing more hunting and fishing at that point in my life than at any other time. Cause I, um, you know, didn't have any kids and, and worked at a, at a camp and did a lot of hunting and fishing. And then, um, the way I got in with, with Michigan out of doors, um, was, uh, actually my elementary school gym teacher of all things, um, was the head honcho for ducks unlimited for a while here in the state of Michigan. And he was actually hunting with my elementary school gym uh, gym teacher at the well no let me back up my elementary school gym teacher was hunting with michigan out of doors sorry about that and uh they're sitting in the duck blind talking about how they needed to hire somebody new with michigan out of doors television and so my buddy he said well i know this kid who grew up hunting and fishing and graduated from michigan state with a degree in broadcasting and and so uh he's like well haven't called me so this my old teacher get a hold of my dad and said hey tell Jimmy Michigan Outdoors is looking for somebody. And my dad got a hold of me and said, Hey, Michigan Outdoors is looking for somebody. And that just kind of started the wheels moving there. And, and a couple weeks later they made me an offer and that's kind of how I started with the television show. But, uh, I guess my love of the outdoors though really started early on. And, and, uh, actually one of the stories that I told when I was there, um, just a few weeks ago at your church was kind of one of my earliest memories of actually 
hunting on my own after, you know, I would walk behind my dad grouse hunting and bow hunting and different things like that. But the first time I got to go bow hunting by myself, uh, I was 12 years old and uh, we have a cabin up in Sheboygan County, which is in the northern part of Michigan. And there's big woods up there. It's, it's a huge uh, state land forest up there called the Pigeon River State Forest. And um, <clears throat> so I, I was uh, sitting in a ground blind because, you know, back then we didn't have tree stands that you could really just go buy at a hardware store or whatever. You had to go build tree stands. And so you had to get, you know, two by fours and plywood and all that kind of stuff and build your tree stand. So because of that, we didn't have very many good ones. My dad always had a really good one. He, or, or one good spot is where he would sit. So I was a couple hundred yards away and sitting on the ground with my little stick and string and uh, with a little natural ground blind around me, just leaning up at, at the base of the tree. And, and uh, I hadn't been sitting there very long and I heard what I was certain was a deer walking up behind me. And so I could hear the little, you know, his footprints coming up and, and, uh, and he got right behind the tree that I was leaning against and I could hear him kind of walking back and forth and he was making a sound, which was kind of like, uh, you know, most of you out there right now what a deer grunt sounds like, but this is the sound that this critter was making. It was, whoa, whoa. and well, that's, that's not the sound that a, a deer makes. That's the sound that a bear makes. And, but you know, as a little 12 year old who's hunting deer, it's like, oh, I'm sure this is a deer. And when he started woofing like that in my mind, I was like, oh, that kind of sounds like a buck grunting, which it sounds nothing like a buck grunting, but you know, to a 12 year old, you're like, just kind of make it sound like what you want. Sure. So I was just waiting for this, this, you know, giant buck that I'm sure was there to walk around the tree and uh, fortunately he didn't, but it, it, he was pacing back and forth long enough and I kept hearing that sound and I, that finally dawned on me that that's not what a deer sounds like. And then it, then it registered to me that, oh my gosh, there's a bear. And we were sitting in this, the woods that we were in and we affectionately called Bear Woods because we'd see a lot of bear in there. And so this bear's on the other side of the tree and it finally dawns on me what's happening. And so I did what any up and coming good hunter would do. I screamed like a girl and ran away, <laughs> threw my bow down, jumped out of the blind. I ran over to where my dad was sitting. And I still remember like crawling up the tree to sit with him. And he's like, what's going on? And I was like, oh, there was this huge bear that came in and he was right behind me. And, and my dad was like, well, did you see the bear? And I'm like, well, no, I never actually saw it. But, uh, you know, and so then I sat there and realized that we were going to be going back to deer camp because we had probably six or eight guys at deer camp. And, I'm like, oh crap! I hope they doesn't. My dad doesn't tell everybody what happened, you know. And so I whispered to my dad, I'm like, hey, you don't, we don't need to tell the other guys about this. And he's like, well, we're not gonna lie. We're gonna tell them what's going on. And he said, you know, but if he goes back and sit for the rest of the night, uh, it would go a long way to show that you were, you know, you weren't scared that you were brave enough to go back. And so that's what I did. And I made as much noise as possible trying to get into that spot. And uh, but I did end up sitting the rest of the night. But that, those, that's one of my earliest memories of. And it was my actual first time bow hunting. So that was, uh, yeah, back when I was 12 years old. Now you can hunt when you're younger, but back then you had to get these 12 to start. So, yep. yeah. That, started at an early age. That's beautiful. That's such a, uh, that's such a great memory. Um, I love it. I, and I have, you know, I have countless memories that I can say are somewhat similar, but everyone, everyone's story uh, from sitting in a stand during their youth has some really unique details. And I love those, those stories. Um, I can feel your pain. Uh, just, just the worry that goes through a 12 year old's brain that, you know, the guys might be razzing them for being, being soft, you know? Well, you know, and I think that's such a big part of, you know, when I think back to my favorite things about hunting and fishing and the different trips I've been on, and maybe this will resonate with some of your listeners, but it, and you, and you, you start seeing this when you spend time with older hunters. You know, I think when I was younger, I was all about the kill and all about the adventure. And, and that's awesome. And I still love that part, but it really comes, it's, it's the camaraderie of deer camp and turkey camp and fish camp and the getting the guys together, family and friends. And that has just become, you know, when I think back on those things, I, 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 I remember those hunts and I remember, you know, the deer that you get or the grouse that you shot or whatever it might be, but gosh, those times back at the cabin and with people and you know, campfires and, there's just so much that goes into the outdoors, but I think I've noticed as I spend time with older hunters that it really becomes more about who you're with than you know what you get at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. I think, and I think our listeners do get that. I think the the whole concept behind adventure deficit isn't whether or not you're holding a paddle or a, you know, climbing a rock face or skiing skiing a mountain. I think it's more or less being out there. 
uh, and the people that you interact with, the camaraderie that coexists with that, and then and then the the fresh air, the landscapes, the moving yeah. the moving water, you know, the wind blowing through trees, it it resonates with all of us. So, yeah, yeah, those details are great, but uh, yeah, twelve year old Jimmy, knees knocking, fingers sweating, <laughs> trying to make his way back to uh, to his ground blind, man. That's, uh, that's precious. That's good stuff. Um, so give us, uh, yeah, give us what, what are, what's transpired since, uh, since coming on, uh, fast forward a little bit with me. What's transpired since coming on with, uh, with Michigan out of doors that you've seen, um, that would add to kind of your, uh, your repertoire of outdoor adventures? Well, um, you know, when, when I first started with Michigan Outdoors, that was 21 years ago. I, I'm, uh, in fact, we're just looking at some old VHS tapes the other day since we have some time here, and we're going to maybe pull some old stories. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, there's just so many different – people ask me all the time, like, what's the best part of your job, you know, and you get to go hunt and fish all of these places. And I do get to go to some really cool spots. Normally I'm holding a camera, yeah. uh, not a gun or a bow or whatever, but – um, there's just been so many cool, interesting stories that have happened over the years. And, uh, one of the ones that we were speaking of bears, it just kind of popped in my head, but, um, we were doing a story several years ago on, on, um, how to train bear hunting dogs. And so, uh, it's quite a, quite a thing to do that. But, uh, I went up, so this is before the bear season started, I kind of late summer, went to the upper peninsula and there was like four families that were doing this all together. And so there's just dogs all over the place and campers and tents and everything else. And I was there sleeping in the back of my truck for a couple of days. And so what they do, if you're not familiar with bear hunting, there's a couple, there's two different ways you can hunt bear. One is to do it over bait and two is to do it with dogs. And so to train a dog to run a bear is not an easy thing. And, and they kind of do it in packs, but, um, so these families, kids all over the place. So we would go out in the morning and you actually have a, so you have a ton of dogs in the truck and then you have a dog that's actually on the hood of your vehicle. Um, and if you, if, if it was a new, newer truck, they'd have like a spare hood. And if it was an older truck, which most of more, they didn't really care that they had the dog strapped to the, you know, standing on the front of their hood. And that's called the strike dog. And so you would drive down these two track roads up in the upper peninsula and if a bear has crossed the road within like a 10 to 15 hour time frame the dogs amazingly enough can smell it and so you be driving along real slow and all of a sudden there's the strike dog or the other dogs in the back will all just go and they start they start making all sorts of noises and and so that's how you do it and so we were driving along and i'm videotaping this and you know we've been at it for i don't know hour or two hours and finally the dogs strike and so you get out and you see kind of cut the bear track and look at the track to see if it's big enough to, to run or not and um, but since they're we weren't actually hunting they were going to run any bear that they could and so what they do is they put some dogs like four or five dogs down on the scent trail and then they start they take off and now they have it with gps as you can see them all on their thing but uh, this was several years ago and so um you usually had to have one person kind of stay with the dogs and they have a radio and they kind of tell you where they're at when they're going so you have six or eight trucks all with dogs but one of the trucks has put their dogs down and they radio to the other the other hunters and say okay we got one we're running one we're over here on tin chaining road and we're heading north you know and then they'll so somebody would get on the radio okay well i'm kind of over that way i'll head up to wherever and see if i can hear them and so you're basically just trying to hear where the dogs are at or follow them on your gps collar and uh and so they were trained so they put some of their more experienced dogs down and they went in there and they uh treed the bear and then what they were what they would do is put some of their younger dogs down on that same scent trail uh, to follow where those other dogs were and then eventually hopefully catch up with them and start running it i guess that's you know kind of how they learn how Just to, do to get it. the idea yeah yeah and so we were i was with the main guy we got to the tree and the dogs are all running around and they're, you know, barking and howling and everything else. And so what they do is to make it safe for everybody is they collar the dogs, tie them off to a tree nearby. So everybody's controlled. And, and then we were going to bring in all the family and all the kids and everybody's going to take pictures. And then we just pull the dogs out. The bear comes down the tree and goes on about his business. Okay. So we were doing that and uh, we get the dogs tied off or no, he didn't. He was getting the process of getting the dogs tied off when all of a sudden, some of these younger dogs that were getting close to where these, where our dogs were, started barking and howling. 
Well, they weren't supposed to do that until they got into the pack with the rest of the dogs. And so all the dogs that were around me and John, the guy that was, was the hunter or the, the dog trainer, mm-hmm. all these dogs around here heard these other dogs barking. And I guess in their mind, what they heard was, hey, we've already caught this one. Somebody's got another one going over here. Let's all go over there. So all the dogs took off to follow where these other dogs had been barking, thinking there was another bear to run. So when they all left, I remember I was like two or three feet from the tree, and I had the thought, I was like, I wonder what this is going to do to that bear up in this tree. And so I just happened to look up, and this bear is coming down this tree as fast <laughs> oh, no. as he can jump down. And if you've ever seen a bear go up and down a tree, they can fly or up and down a yeah, tree. Yeah, they move. And so John, the guy there, he sees this bear coming down, and he has a lot more experience with bears than I do. He whips off one of his dog leashes and starts hitting the tree, trying to slow the bear down. And I'm backing up, videotaping all this. And the bear comes down to about eight feet off the ground. And John's, you know, a six foot guy or whatever. Sure. And so he's he's yelling at this bear to get back up the tree. And he's now hitting the bear with the leash, trying to get it to go back <laughs> up the tree. And I'm videotaping all this, thinking, I can't even show this to anybody. I'm not even. This bear's going to jump right on this guy's head. And, and slowly the bear kind of went back up the tree. And by this time, the other dogs had all come back over here because they now heard this other. It was just a big fiasco. He turned to me and he's like, boy, that was a close one. He said, <laughs> just, that's, that's one of the stories that sticks out. Dude, that all of that yeah. is crazy. That sounds like a circus show. All right. So you've got, <laughs> you've well, got. Just dog hunting in general like that is a tricky endeavor. And some people, you know, even hunters are like, I don't think you should be doing that or whatever else. But it is an exciting way to hunt. Uh, way more uh, bears are harvested with, with over bait than with dogs because it's a hard thing to do. It's hard to train those dogs. And, yeah. Um, but it's, it's, it's talk about fun and exciting. It's, yeah. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. I've read, you know, I've read certain excerpts on, on people doing that in, uh, Arkansas and Missouri. There's, there's states that, that people really, uh, really dig into that hunting, hunting bears with dogs. Um, I didn't realize that Michigan was a state where we did that, but, uh, what a crazy story just to insert myself into that. I'm going, what in the world? So you're sleeping <laughs> out of the back of your truck at a stranger's home in the UP. You find yourself corolling, <laughs> corralling down a two track with a dog standing on the hood. Yeah, there's some crazy stuff. I remember I was doing a, a, a catfish story with these guys one time and they were pretty, pretty rough around the edges type of guys, but you know, that's okay. That's, we could get. A lot of people like that. On sure, show. And sure. We pull and, and catfish fishing is not you know the most sexy thing in the world. But so, anyways, we we <laughs> we had two boats. One uh, me and one guy, and then and then another boat. We had two other guys, and so we were going to be anchored next to each other. And then in catfishing, you just basically put a big lump of stuff on a hook and with a with a weight about a foot away from it, and just dump the, dump it in the river and hope for the best. Kind of on the you know the upstream side of like a blowdown next to the on the river's edge and so we pulled into this spot this guy proceeds to take off his shirt light a cigarette and open a beer all at the same time <laughs> and i was like i just put the camera down i'm like i can't show any of this <laughs> we have some interesting people that we meet throughout the sure throughout the 20 some years of doing this sure no just uh the the story that you just told about bear hunting i'm i'm loving it man uh it sounds it sounds almost like you guys approach that like uh, a police would, you know, chase a criminal in a, in a city block of L.A., you know. I'm northbound on <laughs> Tin Can Road. Cut him off. Go. That's, oh, yeah. That's crazy. crazy. Yeah, that's fun. Um, so whatever, I mean, whatever came of the bear, it just went back up the tree and mind, yeah, minded we, its own so business. Yeah, so once, once we pulled it, we, you know, everybody came in. We got pictures of every, you know, the, the, this nice Michigan black bear. And then once you, you get the dogs all leashed up and you just – everybody walks away and the bear as soon as you're probably within 20 yards away from the tree he just comes down the tree and goes the other way so, yeah 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 oh that's fun man yeah you've seen a lot that's for sure uh and, and you've probably seen some pieces and parts of cultures that don't normally get a whole lot of representation well as, yeah actually those guys that i was uh, bear hunting with they were very hesitant to have me come because uh, they had been burned years prior to some other person that had a camera and, and tried to use it against them. And, sure. Because uh, bear hunting with dogs is a little controversial. Yep. Uh, in my mind, it's no different than running rabbits with a dog or, or, or chasing you know squirrels with a dog or grouse with a dog or whatever else. But some people really don't agree with that kind of hunting, and you know they're welcome to that 
uh, opinion. There's nothing, you know, I, that's, but it's a, it's a time honored thing here in the state of Michigan and many other states as well. And, uh, and it's hard to do. Sure. Cool. All right. You got time for one more before, uh, before we break into uh, the second portion of our show. Sure. What else you got? I, th- I, it seems to me you had a fun story about an elk. Yeah, I do have a good elk story. And this was, uh, so I was working for the television show at the time, but since we only tape uh, episodes here in Michigan, uh, this was in Colorado, and I was on a, a archery elk hunt with my dad and a buddy of mine, and it was the last day of, uh, of this hunt. It was kind of a misty, rainy day, and um, we were chasing this one group of animals, and there was we saw them kind of going up over this little rise into this thicket, or just kind of a thicker part of the uh, terrain that we were in. So we did what a lot of hunters do. We tried to do the old head them off at the pass, you know. So we tried to get around in front of them, which is hard to do with elk, but we were thinking that they would slow down once they got into this kind of thicker stuff, and which they did. And so I got around the edge of it, and I was sneaking along, and it was just really, really thick cover. Like you could barely even see, you know, more than just a few feet into this this thick stuff. And I'm working the edge of it, and, and uh, so it's on my left-hand side. It's almost like a wall of stuff, and then off to my right is a huge valley you can see forever and so you know we were hoping to catch these elk coming out of this thick stuff and so i'm kind of just moseying along and i knock an arrow and out steps a cow elk probably 10 or 12 paces from me so i'm like oh this is perfect this herd comes out right here we're going to be set and a spike bull steps out next to her so i'm thinking oh i'm in the perfect spot well you had to they had to have four points on one side to be legal uh, where we were hunting for the bulls and so neither of those were legal targets for me and um, uh, so they're looking at me and I'm looking at them and I'm pretty close to them and my wind was bad. The wind was kind of behind me and they smelled me, but it took them a little while to figure out what was going on and they blew and kind of did that, and uh, which is kind of a warning sign to all the other elk in the area, like, hey, something's, something's going on. So they spooked and ran down into this valley. And then when these other elk that were in the thicket heard them take off and blow like that, they started to come out of this thick stuff. Well, right behind me, probably... I don't know, six or seven paces from me was a, was a spike bull elk that was in this thick stuff right near where I was. I never saw him. He never saw me as I was sneaking along. Well, I heard this just crashing coming out behind me. And so I turned, I spun around and kind of looked into this thick bush kind of a thing. And, and, uh, I could see an elk coming out of there and, and I didn't have time to dive or jump or anything. I just kind of got the bow out of the way and I just kind of leaned to my right thinking he's going to just barely miss me on my left-hand side. And, and uh, as he was coming out, he got to the last uh, bush and kind of put his head down and went, veered off to the left to follow where his other elk went. And I don't even think he really ever saw me, but that's exactly where I was standing. And so the last thing I saw was this spike elk, the spike bull elk's forehead coming through this last bit of brush and hit me square in the face. Oh my and gosh. just ran me right over. And so I... I just bounced back through the air and it felt like someone took a two by four and hit you right across the forehead. I had a cut above my eye and below my eye and I flew back through the air and I kind of just bounced off. Fortunately, he didn't trample me, but, uh, my buddy saw the whole thing. So he runs down and he's like, are you okay? And I literally couldn't, I didn't know. I was like, I don't know. Cause you know, with all the adrenaline going and, um, I just didn't know what had really just happened. And my, my bow had broke and my quiver flew off and, um, and so I, I'm just sitting there on the ground, and we get a glove out, get some pressure on the on the cuts, which really weren't that bad. And uh, after my buddy realized I was fine, I mean, for the most part, I might have had a concussion, I'm not sure, but he just goes, dude, you just got run over by an elk, he said. Dude, <laughs> so, you uh, did. Yeah, so that, that was uh, a crazy, and that was the last day of the hunt, and my dad and my buddy were so, so worried that I had a, because it instantly just, you know, puffed right up. Yeah. It was getting black and blue. Yeah. More and more by the minute, but they wouldn't let me drive back to Michigan. So they, they drove all the way back and they were afraid I had a concussion, but, uh, yeah, that's the elk story. That's insane. I, that's a one in a million. That's a one in a, <laughs> that's one in 8 billion. I don't think oh. that's ever, ha- I, I cannot, I cannot imagine that's happened to anybody else. You know, I don't, you can get pretty close to elk. Like a lot of times when you're calling in, they'll come in really close. And I've seen on some television shows where they're, you know, within you know, a few feet of people, but I, I'm not aware of anybody else getting run over by one. I'm sure it's face probably to face. Happened, but 
Yeah. You know, usually you're trying to get out of the way. But I was kind of spooked in the woods for a while. I remember when I was walking through a cattail swamp on a bow hunt and a deer, you know, we jumped a deer and, it, you know, the crashing of that animal so close to me, I, I dove behind a tree. Kind of triggered that. I just, I'm like, oh, it's going to happen again. Yeah, here <laughs> we go. No, that's, uh, I mean, that's comical, but in in hindsight, you also got bulldozed by a 500 pound animal like that. that, (laughs) I mean, yeah, it turned out to be fine, but it was, uh, and the thing is I had, it was, it's kind of funny. I had, so I had the cut that was below my eye was, was the worst of the two. And I had a scab there for a while and I still to this day wish I would have been picking at that scab. So I would have had a scar. Scar. (laughs) (laughs) You can always open it back up, you know, (laughs) get a friend with a buck knife, help you out. That's crazy, Jimmy. Um, I'm yeah. I remember uh, running around trying to make sure that my venue was uh, was all set. But hearing you tell that story, I was like, I gotta follow up with that. I want to make sure I got all those details right. <laughs> That's incredible. So your friend and your your dad was with you as well. Is dad still around? He is. Uh, he okay. is about seventy six now, but he had a stroke. Um, so it would have been. Oh, about four years ago, he had a stroke, and ever since then, he can still do a little bit of hunting, um, get around a little bit. He has a really hard time communicating, but he is around. And in fact, even not this past year season, but the season before, I was able to take him out, and he somehow ended up getting a nice buck up on state land in northern Michigan. And, Did he really? So he's still getting out there a little bit. Oh, that's great. That's cool. Well, thanks, Jimmy, for sharing those stories. Those are the type of stories that we're always mining for, and those are the stories that uh, that endear me to you but uh we're gonna we're gonna shift shift gears here a little bit um part of jimmy's story involves a rogue wave that came came slamming down on his family a few years back and uh jimmy's agreed to share some of those details with us as well um it is not um it's not light it's a heavy story uh but it's rich and it's meaningful and it provides uh it provides hope so uh, if you would uh, join us for for Jimmy's uh, Jimmy's second portion of the Adventure Deficit Show. Yeah, so my story uh, over the last oh gosh, it's been a little over three years since my wife passed away. So and then we fought cancer for a year, uh, and I get a chance to travel around to a lot of um, uh, primarily churches here in the state of Michigan, and they do a lot of wild game dinners. And uh, gives me a chance to talk about the television show and, and the outdoors, and then tie it into uh, you know some some real world stories of, of uh, uh, just stuff people go through. And so years ago, I would talk about kind of how I got in the outdoors, and then uh, kind of transition into the more the spiritual part of my story about uh, where my faith became really important to me. And so now that I travel around, I get to talk a little bit about um, you know building a foundation and, and how do you build a strong foundation. And so, um, you know, really, and because the storms of life are going to hit, you know, we, we're living in a storm right now. We're in a very uncertain time. And, um, you know, for, you know, listeners out there, it could be, um, a storm of life could be, you know, a rocky marriage. It could be a promotion. It could be loss of a loved one. It could be anything. It could be being locked down in your, in your home for weeks on end and not knowing whether your business is going to survive or whatever it might be. The storms of life are going to hit and, whether you're a, a Christian or not a Christian, the storms of life are going to hit no matter what. And so the storm that kind of hit our family not too long ago um, was, uh, was in the summer of 2015. And uh, my wife just said, you know, one day, like, I just don't feel, I haven't felt good in like a month, you know, and she had a normal doctor's appointment coming up. And so obviously they brought it up and said, you know, she cut out dairy for two or three weeks to see if that was it. And that wasn't it. And then it was, you know, let's, tried taking gluten out of the diet that wasn't it and she was um you know starting to the pain was getting worse and worse and she was having a harder time eating and we weren't really sure what was going on and then she woke up one morning and she was jaundiced she was really yellow so we had to get her into the hospital and um as it turned out her liver wasn't working correctly and at that point we didn't know exactly why but they had to go in and put a stent into the liver and open that back up and uh, when they did that, they took some samples, but nothing came back. You know, actually, one of the doctors said, "You know, this kind of looks like cancer, but we're not finding any." And I was like, "What does that even mean?" And it was just a very crazy, uncertain time. And you know, we're my, my wife was the worship leader at our church at the time, so our church was getting involved now. So we've been a couple of months trying to figure out what was going on, and we uh, opted for an exploratory surgery because they just some of the scans they weren't able to 
they weren't seeing what they needed to see for whatever reason. And so they opened her up and took a bunch of samples and, and she was in the hospital. It was supposed to be an overnight thing. She ended up being in there for two weeks <clears throat> just because they had, it was so invasive what they had to do to, to get the samples of where they were down on her abdomen and everything. And so uh, a couple weeks later, we went to uh, down to Ann Arbor, um, the U of M hospital, which is probably the best one here in the state of Michigan. And, and uh, we sat with a specialist and he kind of walked us through our diagnosis. And so he kind of started big picture. We had heard the word cancer a few times at that point. So we were thinking he was probably going to say that, but you know, he looked at us in the eye and he said, you have non um, inoperable pancreatic cancer. And, you know, I just, it was, it was almost like you were watching a movie or something. It just didn't even seem like it could be real. And, um, and so that, you know, that kind of started our journey with cancer, but it was, that was, I mean, at that point, when somebody tells you that it really rocks you to your foundation. And so as I get to travel around and speak, I just really challenge people, like, what is your foundation? Like, what is the most important thing in your, in your life? You know, is it your job? Is it your kids? Is it your spouse? Is it your hobbies? You know, and, and what I found in my own life is um, anything that can be taken away from you like that is not a great foundation. And for me, uh, my faith has been my foundation and really the relationship with Jesus is the thing that has been the rock uh, that is, that is, um, that has got me through. And so that, that is our, that's my foundation and that's what we were clinging to and was my wife's foundation as well. And, and that doesn't mean that, oh, everything's rosy and cheery. If you're a Christian, no, it's the storms of life are going to hit. But, uh, um, you know, God promises to walk through that hard stuff with you if you let him. Yeah. And so we started our journey with cancer and we were getting chemo every couple of weeks and that would knock my wife down for three or four days. And then she'd come back up out of it. And, um, and we were just trying to figure out life with cancer. And I remember a lot of time just being like, God, where are you in this? Like, you just seem like you're not anywhere nearby. And I just, every day I'm like, where are you? Where are you? And, and, and it was funny. I don't know how many weeks or whatever it was into this process of, of, of fighting cancer, but I'd be like, God, where are you? And there'd be a knock at the door. And it'd be somebody with a meal there's somebody with a check somebody mm. with a meal so i mean every single day people were bringing meals more meals than we could eat and, and food and money and stuff and stuff with the kids and I mean, it was just unbelievable but i still was like man i just don't see you god where are you in this and finally it was like he had to hit me over the head he's like jimmy i have been at your house every day this week mm. and i started to realize that that for me that's how god was really reaching to us on a daily basis was through his people through our church that was just showing up and uh, really being there for us, and and uh, you know, I, having a faith community like that that you do do life with is what the church is supposed to be. And, and there's so many examples of the church not doing that, and you don't have to look very hard, very far to see, you know, that, that that's not always the case. But in this case, for us, the church was really coming through in some awesome ways, and you know, really being the hands and feet of, of God. I I believe. And so, anyways, our journey with cancer continued, and um, we were about at the nine or 10 month mark when the tumor started to grow and she had a tumor that was kind of wrapped in and around all of her organs. And so, uh, there was no way for that. We were hoping that the chemo would shrink the tumor down to where they could go in and operate, but, um, that was not the case. And so, um, tumor started to grow and right towards the end of 2016 was the year that we fought cancer. And, uh, it would have been the last like October, November, December, those last three months, actually just flew by and we had some really sweet time with family through those times. And, and, uh, my wife was just getting smaller and smaller, but I'd never seen anybody. I mean, I've never had anybody close to that close to me pass away, but to see her, what she went through and to have the attitude that she did and to, to never waver and to just, you know, just trying to, to use her platform to, to praise God through the whole thing. It was really unbelievable to see. And then we got into January and we were, um, it was pretty much where we were going into the cancer center pretty much every day uh, to get liquids and fluids just to get her through the day. And <clears throat> finally we had to check her into the hospital and we were in there for five days. And, uh, and I remember it was the, would have been the, the day before she passed away. So it would have been January 18th. I we thought we we're going to lose her a couple times during the day. And uh, the kids had been up a day or two before, and our plan was to bring the kids up the next day or bring her home, actually. We had already talked with hospice about setting something up at the house. And uh, uh, I remember after I thought she was going to pass away a couple different times, I thought, you know, I really need to get home and talk to the kids. And so I went home that night, 
left my brother-in-law and sister-in-law there with my wife, Dana, and, and uh, had to set the kids down and, and tell them, say, you know what, guys, you know, I think God can do anything, but it looks like mom's going to lo- mom's going to lose her battle with cancer. And uh, I said, I think we've got days left, maybe, maybe a week, two weeks. I'm not sure. And uh, of course I'm crying, they're crying. And it was, that was one of the hardest conversations I ever had to have. So we're all sitting on the couch, hugging each other. And, and, uh, and so we watched a, a Disney movie that night together. I put him to bed and <clears throat> I got a call at about 1 15, in the morning. And it was my sister-in-law that was at the hospital and said, Jimmy, you got to come right now. What's happening right now. And you know, what do you do when you get that call? I mean, that rocks you to your foundation and, mm. uh, it really does. And it, and it did for me as well. And, and even though I had a strong faith through that whole process, it still is super hard and it shakes you to your core. And I got to the hospital and I was on my way to the hospital. I got about halfway there. It's about a 20 minute drive from where I live. And, and my brother-in-law called me and he just said, Jimmy, she's home and she mm. was gone. And it's hard to even describe the feelings that you get when that phone call came. It was, I was surprised. It was actually a fair amount of relief just because the fight was finally over and, and she had beat, you know, she no longer had cancer. And, um, um, you get to the hospital and, and I had called my sister to come be here with the kids. And I had, I called my pastor. He was on, on his way. And, um, it's just a surreal time. You signed some paperwork. I was able to spend a little bit of time just, with her there at the hospital and then some family came in and, but then I had to go home, uh, later that morning. I think I got back here around three or four in the morning and, and then I had to wake my kids up at, at, you know, at the time they were 15, 13 and 10 and tell them that their mom had passed away. Uh, I thought the conversation the night before was hard, but this one was really hard. Um, but you know what? I, again, I come back to it that, 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 that Jesus got us through. I mean, he just was there and, and that foundation um, to lean on him through those hard times. Um, you know, I, I know people do it without a, without a faith system and, and, and it's, but I, I don't, it's, it's, I don't know how you do it. It's, this was, um, it really rocked you to your core and, and things that you thought were important before maybe aren't as important. And you learn a lot of lessons, I think going through some of that stuff. But, um, I think my takeaway was, you know, as, as a believer, as a Christian, it was just God saying, Jimmy, do you trust me? Hmm. Do you trust me? And I think as I look at my life story and even you can pick any Bible character you want, I think it all boils down to that. God just saying, do you trust me? Yeah. And I had to learn some of those lessons that you have with this COVID situation and this uncertainty and so many people dealing with death. And it's just, you know, such an ever present thing. It's like, it's still I'm learning those same lessons again, where God is just saying, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Hmm. And uh, so I don't know. So, you know, listeners that are out there. I don't know what you're, faith system is or whether you have one or you think I'm just full of for those that aren't believers I know a lot of my non-believer buddies have said you know oh you just use that Christianity as a crutch I'm like yeah I do I lean on it every day Hmm. Jimmy that's uh that's one of the most powerful stories I've heard and uh it's sacred space it's I can see it in your face it's real it's uh it's close and there's not a there's not a certain amount of time that can distance you from that pain. But, uh, I, I, I do agree with you and I do, uh, lean on that. So I do understand where we can find our hope. And if not for that, I don't think we're going to have that, th- th- this conversation with a whole lot of positive affect, but, uh, yeah. that is where we, we rest our hope. Um, and it's with that, I can say there's a happy ending to this. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping so. I mean, there's, uh, uh, you know, we're going to get to see those loved ones again at some point in time and we don't know when that is, but, um, yeah, that's, that's the hope that, that, that Christianity offers. Yeah. Um, you have uh, a handful of, of scripture that's bouncing around in your head, uh, during times like this. Would you mind sharing, uh, some of your some of your yeah, favorite passages. Yeah, with us? there's there's uh, um, Philippians four is a is a chapter in the book of Philippians that uh, I think I really kind of just lived in that and continue to and even with this COVID thing I remember having to back just saying these verses again and again it's Philippians four six it says don't be anxious about anything but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving 
present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. That's a lot of words, but what is it saying? It's saying basically if you want to have a peace that makes no sense to the people around you, if you want to have a peace that makes no sense, then pray about everything and be thankful. And I think that thankful part is so, so crucial because I know for in our journey with cancer, um, you know, we used to put the kids to bed at night to say, what was your best part? What was your worst part or whatever? And, and we changed that to say, where did you see God's goodness today? And when you're in the lowest and hardest spots of life, it, it, it changes the way you think. If you just each and every day, we would say, where did we see God's goodness today? Where did we see his goodness? And it might be a conversation with a friend. It might be a song that you heard. It might be somebody showing up with a, with a meal that you just did exactly what you wanted or where did you see God's goodness? And even on like the hardest days of chemo and cancer and getting sick and death and all those things. I mean, I mean, even on the day that, that my wife passed away, I had to be like, okay, where did I see God's goodness today? Okay. She was not in a lot of pain. Uh, we were able to get most of the, all the family there. I was able to say my goodbyes, um, stuff like that. So even on those hard days, if you can be thankful to look for the good things in your life, and sometimes it is really hard and sometimes it's just a little thing, but but I really believe God, you know, we live in this broken, fallen world, but but there's so many good things that come into our life that we just take for granted so often. I know I did. I know I do. But on those days, if you want to have a peace that makes no sense, pray about everything, but be thankful. And that thankful part is a, is a key. To, I have a, a kind of our motto through this whole journey with cancer was faith, not fear. And I have that tattooed on my arm. And I've been Do looking you? at a lot even these, these past few weeks with the COVID situation, this like faith, not fear. You can choose how you want to believe or how you want to, how you want to think. You can live in fear or you can live in faith. Um, and that's a, and that's, I have it on my arm because I need to hear that every single day. Yeah. Yeah. That's another, uh, that's another piece that I think um, is important to, to mention as Christians. We don't, we don't live under the false assumption that life's going to be easy. There's gonna be yeah. there's gonna be turbulence. It's promised, um, and as a matter of fact, Jesus Himself said this: "I have told you these things so that in Me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world." That's what Easter's all about. Yeah. We just celebrated, we just celebrated our God's victory over death. Yeah, I heard a sermon the other day talking about uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and which is kind of like a little microcosm of of our life. Like, there's so if you just take those three days of what everybody was experiencing, you know, Friday is this terrible day where terrible things happen, and 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 Jesus is you know nailed to a cross and dies. So just this terrible situation, and then you have days like Saturday where you know nothing was happening, and it was like um, God seems far off. Like what? where are you? What's going on? And how could you let this happen? And then there's days like Sundays where God shows up. And when God shows up, some amazing things happen. Mm. That's beautiful, man. Um, again, yeah, thanks. That's, that's, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a high privilege to be a part of your stories. Thank you for inviting us into that. I'm glad to do it. Yeah. Um, if you could, uh, if you could share with us some light that's uh, that's taken place since Dana's passing, where have you found um, where have you found God's goodness in days since since her her passing? Well, I have another <laughs> my other tattoo that I have on my arm, and I have it uh, above my sink as well. It was my wife's handwriting, and it's Isaiah forty five three. It says, "And I will give you treasures hidden in the darkness, secret riches." I will do this so that you will know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, the one that calls you by name. So that has been a really key thing for us, the treasures hidden in the darkness. And I would say um, the three biggest treasures hidden in the darkness for me are my three kids that going through what we went through, I have a, and not that you would, you know, obviously pick that or trade that or whatever else, but the relationship I have with each one of them is so much deeper mm. um, and stronger having gone through what we went through. So that is a treasure that has been hidden, hidden in the darkness. I, and I've learned stuff about my own faith. I've learned stuff about God that I would have not, would not have learned had I not gone through what I went through. Hmm. Uh, my relationships with, uh, with, with people in our church and are so much deeper uh, than, than they were before. Yeah. Um, 
and so I just there's there's you know I could go on and on too, but there's just uh, that just changes it changes changes you when you go through so or at least it it has the potential to change you for the better if you'll let it. Hmm. Uh, when you're in the middle of the storm, it's hard to have that perspective. And even as I talk with people and counsel people that are, you know, just starting their journey with cancer and or partway through their journey with cancer, you know, who I was during that time versus going going through it and being on the other side of it now, you know, you're just different. And it's, um, if, if but if you're willing, uh, you can learn a lot and, and you can become stronger because of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great, uh, great life lesson. All right. So let's switch gears into, uh, into, uh, work here for the next uh, next five minutes. I'd like to ask you okay. just a couple of, of quick questions, um, and then we can we can get out of here. So, with uh, with regard to our Michigan's mandated stay home, stay safe policy, we've got uh, we've got another couple of weeks to sit tight. Uh, anglers and hunters and morel uh, hunters and and people who are itching to get out of michigan's winter and roll into spring um have a whole lot of things that uh, that they've had to put on hold what has that included for you personally do you have uh, do you have a springtime passion that this is impeding uh for me my springtime passion would be definitely turkey hunting now there is a ton of really good fishing that's happening all around this well i should say all around the state they just got a foot and a half of snow in the up but um and so they still have some lakes that are froze over up there but down here and in northern michigan as well but um there's so much good fishing happening right now so much good uh steelhead fishing and walleye uh, walleye on the east side of the state right now are just going crazy and uh, they were catching a ton of perch here where i live in grand haven out in the, in the big water but for me uh, my spring passion is turkey hunting. I absolutely love turkey hunting, and that starts this Saturday. So, fortunately, it's not really going to impede me much at all right now. The only thing is, is, you know, we're not being able to travel as far as we would maybe like to. Um, but, you know, there's still lots of good hunting within a half hour where I live. So, my plan on Saturday is uh, I'm going to head out and uh, just have to decide between a couple different properties. But um, I'll head out with, you know, camera in hand with you know a couple cameras um tripod and then some decoys turkey vest all the stuff and it's 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 quite a thing when you're trying to tape yourself uh, on the ground doing this kind of thing not not in a ground blind so just doing it you know just set up against a tree and um it makes it more challenging but it also is kind of fun to just try to see if you can do all that on your own and um so yeah i've kind of got a little spot picked out that um over the years has been a pretty good pretty good location and with turkey hunting it's it's a little tricky because if you don't have a lot of property you kind of have to sit tight you can hunt 40 80 120 acres and in, in 20 minutes if you want to and just walk through it and call and if they're not there they're not there so in southern michigan here where you don't have as big a hunks of land um potentially uh you do sit a little bit longer typically if i'm in northern michigan and i'm hunting birds i'll go from spot i'll just start calling if i don't if i don't get a response i'll move on to the next deal um you, you can do that in Southern Michigan, but a lot of times sitting tight and just, you know, calling for instead of five or 10 minutes, but for like an hour, hour and a half. And just, you know, a lot of times you'll, something will hear you from enough, you know, throughout the, throughout the day and, and come over to check you out. So, but yeah, I love turkey hunting. So it's a great time of the year to be in the woods. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. All right. So you mentioned earlier on that, uh, Michigan out of doors has been, uh, in action since 1950 something. Um, with yeah. with over sixty plus years of uh, of traction, what have been some of the biggest shifts or pivots that you've uh, either been aware of or been part of personally since your uh, since your oncoming in in ninety eight? Well, I would say the the biggest shift is in producing the television show has been the equipment that we used to do that um, when they first started. You know they they had they were shooting everything on film and then recording the audio separately um and so a lot of times when you see super old video that you see that it's film but a lot of times they have put this cheesy music to it because they didn't have you couldn't record audio and video at the same time so you had to do them separately so to to sync those up was tricky so if they were going to just do like you know the snowmobiling story they might just put it to music because they didn't have to worry about you know the nat the nat sound or natural sound what we call it 
Um, but the, but you know, the, so some things haven't changed. You still want to, it all comes down to just telling a good story and, and, and for Michigan out of doors, pace and variety has also been a thing that has been passed down, you know, the years. so unlike a lot of, a lot of other outdoor shows that have, we're going to go to Lee and Tiffany's farm in Iowa, we're going to hunt deer and that's the half hour show. Well, our half hour show has usually at least three different segments in it. Um, sometimes two, sometimes five, um, but that pace and variety. So if you're, let's say that you, you're not a turkey hunter, you're just a fisherman, but you're like, well, I'll sit through this turkey hunt because I know they're going to be steelhead fishing the next story. So without that, I think people just, oh, they're not doing anything that I really like to enjoy, so I'm not going to watch this week. So so pace and variety, telling a good story, they, those haven't changed. But what has changed is the equipment that made it so much easier in a lot of ways because the batteries last way longer now, the stuff's way smaller, the equipment's easier to use, get through the woods, tougher. Um, but it also has, because of that, there's 18 million different outdoor shows and web shows and everything else because the equipment has come down in price and anybody can use it. And now, I mean, with a decent laptop, you can produce a show, you know, anybody can. So, um, but you still have to, you still have to tell a good story, but I think the, um, the technology has just changed the way we do it so much. And when everything switched over to HD, um, that was a really big shift for, you know, the cameras that you could use. And you didn't, you didn't really want to, you know, if you're looking at four by three video on a 16 by nine screen, it just screams like, Oh, this is from, from forever ago. So, um, yeah, but those are some of the things that I think I've seen over the years. Sure. Sure. Um, and I know you guys are really active on social media. I see you guys, I keep up with you through Instagram and YouTube. Are those primarily your, your methods of, of reach? Yeah, Facebook is still the biggest one for us. Is but, it? Uh, okay. Yeah, Instagram and the YouTube channel is nice. We're hoping, you know, we'd love to get those numbers up to where the viewers on YouTube are similar to the viewers on our uh, on PBS. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we're—I uh, don't know for sure, but you know, as everything turns more and more internet-based, uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how long network TVs stay on and how that's all going to work and you know, where is you know, where's our show going to fall in and some of that. So, uh, building up that online presence is obviously uh, super important. Yeah. Okay. Final question. Um, for those of us looking to get into, uh, hunting, fishing or the like, um, either our youth or, uh, early onset hunting or early onset fishing later in life, what would be the best species of each in each area, in your opinion, to start with? Let's start with hunting. Hmm. Well, if you're out there and you'd like to do some more hunting, I think the best way is to try to find somebody that you know that is already fairly avid at it. Uh, I think that's a really important way for because some of the stuff is, uh, yeah, I mean, there's obviously YouTube videos and that kind of stuff and, and television shows like ours that do a lot of how-to. But I think if you could find somebody, um, regardless hunting or fishing, that is kind of into that, and if, and if you don't, then there's you know there's clubs. Pheasants Forever, Ducks Unlimited, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, uh, Rough Grouse. I mean, there's so many clubs, and they have chapters all over the world, especially all over Michigan. Uh, with not, and there's a lot of guys that really want to try to help to get more people in. There's all sorts of youth events that are planned all over the place, and there's. Uh, so, but I would start with trying to get somebody that you know to do it, and I think you want to try to, or if you're trying to get your kid involved, I think trying to do something that is uh, that you have a pretty high. Uh, rate of success so let's say if you're trying to get somebody into fishing or you want to get into fishing you know bluegill fishing in the spring like right now is going to be a great way to introduce somebody because it's just a lot of action uh, they're good to eat um, it's not hard to do you don't need expensive gear but to take that person out and say okay we're going to go shore fishing for brown trout uh, here where I live that you know that's super hard to do not so much hard as in like physically hard to do but it's it's very hard to catch fish that way but it's really challenging and you got to get specialized gear and you need certain things to do it and um so you know you want to try to get somebody into something that's they're going to have a high rate of success so in the hunting world you know i would probably turkey hunting is a great way to bring somebody along because they can they can witness everything that happens and they don't need specialized gear they just need a little bit of camouflage um uh, waterfall hunting, although it's hard to maybe have all the stuff, but that's something easy for somebody to come along and just sit and try it out and see what they think. Um, you know, deer hunting is great, but you know, you do a lot of deer hunting for very little, um, you know, taking of game. 
And so it's fun to, to go on a deer hunt. But like when I took my kids, when they first were starting to get into the outdoors, like, well, they're only gonna be able to sit for like an hour, maybe two hours top, especially when they're young. So don't make them sit there for three or four hours because it's gonna it's gonna spoil them. And take them when it's warm and make it easy. And, and don't be a stickler on what well, you can't. You, know, you don't you dare bring that phone along. And you know you just want to try to not alienate people as they come into these new environments and, and make it fun. Make it. Um, and I, I remember with my kids, it was there was a McDonald's that we would pass on our way home after we'd go hunting. Well, we'd always stop and get cheeseburgers. And I think they looked just as forward to the cheeseburgers as they did to anything else. You yeah, know? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, to kind of build in some of that kind of stuff. And, and I think we as sportsmen, we need to do a better job to, of taking our buddies that are our same age and to say, hey, come come tag along in this turkey hunt just, you, just so you can see what this is like. And, you know, it doesn't always have to be, you know, the young people. I think getting, you know, middle-aged and older people out there uh, is just as important. Yeah, that's great. Well, Jimmy, uh we are coming up on uh, about an hour five, and I promised that we'd get out of here in an hour. So with that, I'm going to let you go. But uh, on behalf of the Adventure Deficit community, I just want to say thanks. It's been a pleasure. Well, glad to do it. Glad to tell stories, and uh, thanks for what you're doing. We appreciate you, man.